0: Well, hello. Welcome to Relevant Recovery Radio. I am your host and co host today, Donnie Mosier. Um, Heather was abducted again by aliens to organize the universe in her normal, rigid fashion. Uh, So she won't be here this week. But we are here for the Matthew's Hope Detox and Recovery Program. It's a unique detox for substance abuse or substance abuse disorder. Uh, We're located inside the St. Joseph's Hospital in downtown Houston. Matthew's Hope is a 10 to 14 day detox followed up with 24 months to a year of free aftercare and recovery coaching after discharge. Which I don't know if uh, any of you out there have ever been to what we call a spin dry, but this is where somebody who has a problem with substance abuse and they cannot stop no matter what and they need to go in and dry out so that they can enter a recovery program for that detox to have some sort of an aftercare is is an anomaly. That's normally you go in, they dry you out, they kick you out, you're good. So it's a pretty good program. So if you, if you are a loved one or an unloved one, depends on the uh, status of your relationship, would like any information about the Matthews Hope Detox and Recovery Program, please give us a call at eight four four and Hope, that is eight four four two six three four six seven three, or visit our website at www.mhdrp.org for more information. Now, today, you're listening to us on KPRC 950 AM, Sundays at 1 PM. And uh, if you are not in Houston, if you're picking us up on the podcast, you can listen to us through the iHeartRadio app. You just go to the KPRC 950 channel, 1 PM Central, and you can hear us live sort of live, you know, we record, or they upload us to our podcast later on the day, uh, later in the day on Sundays. So let's get on with this show. So uh, also I'm asked by Heather to always remind you about our Facebook and Instagram pages. Facebook, trust me, she's on it 23 hours a day. She'll see if you post something. Instagram, I think is spotty. We'll see what happens, but I, I keep encouraging you Send her something ridiculous and see if she responds. Let's see if she's really paying attention. So uh, I'm I'm really, really excited today. <clears throat> I've got a gentleman in studio who I have known probably for most of my recovery. I mean, it's been a long time. I would say for at least five or six years uh, of the 10. Uh, this gentleman is going to be playing at the Soberfest coming up in May. And I forgot, I need to probably text Heather and have her give me those deets so we can put them on the air at some point. Uh, but in studio with me today is Chris Lively. Chris, welcome.
1: Howdy, Donnie. Thank you so much for having me, man. Honored to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm excited because uh, I met you, I guess I probably met you at like Cleaning House or some of those other meetings. Um, and then, but as I was saying before the show started, you are known throughout the recovery community in Houston because you are a musician.
1: Yeah, and there's as lots well. of musicians, lots of creatives in, the, in that recovery community. I've I've come to find out.
0: It, it's uh it's kinda cool, right? Like alcoholics seem to be talented.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You and, know what I mean? Yeah.
0: At least ask an alcoholic, we'll tell you, we're talented. You're
1: talented and, you know, something goes that seems to be a correlation between that creative artistic <laughs> temperament and addiction. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, right. I've got to find out.
0: Well well and we share a sober birthday.
1: Yes. So That's right. So April twenty third. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, so today's uh yeah, twelve years and five days for me. So four thousand 388 days
0: wow who would have thought it right <laughs> no idea <laughs> dude me.
1: one day at a time right that's what they say
0: yeah I hit I hit 10 on Sunday you hit 12 uh let me ask you something was 10 a big deal for you was it
1: yeah you know it kind of crept up on me that Did was a year You know, it was like right at that first year of the of the pandemic stuff and it was like I'd kind of it kind of gotten, you know, I had both feet in. Mm-hmm. I was going to meetings really consistently all the time. I was in it, you know, feeling the sunlight, of the spirit. I had, a, you know, multiple sponsees and then um, kind of took a detour out a little bit. I mean, I was sober. Mm-hmm. And um, but then I was like, man, I'm coming up on 10 years. You know, you know how it works in here. The synchronicity, everything kind of comes in alignment as soon as you step back in. Yes. And I went to a meeting to get my my 10 year chip and then all oh, my old friends were in there um is a post oak and um you know it was kind of like this rebirth i've had many yeah. multiple rebirths in recovery yeah where you get lost you get a little unconscious while you're you know, while you're sober you're sober you know things get a little weird yeah and then um you know they have that 10 year that was a uh, i kind of was kind of going to sleep and then i got that chip and i reconnected with people and uh yeah i found the found the light again of recovery
0: it's like that fellowship just kind of pulls you right back in it pulls in. you right back
1: in yeah. it's like It's like you're powerless. You're powerless over the addiction. We learned that it's the first step. You're also powerless over the forces that pull you in when you're in it. That's right. You're powerless over how powerful they are.
0: Okay. No, that's uh, the beauty of that too. Is my first sponsor always said that recovery, long-term sobriety, is a series of surrenders.
1: Absolutely. And the the practice, and I love why that's why we call it a practice. It's like you go to meetings. You you practice letting go of things that are no longer serving you, so you can be you know, truly present for recovery, it's for those moments. It's for those moments where you're, um, you know, maybe disoriented or you're mm-hmm. confused, you're not sure, you're uncertain, or maybe you're suffering a little bit. Can you hold the pose of recovery yeah. and just breathe through it and make it to that next, that next point? Because yep. it will go away. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I drink, it won't. Right. right. <laughs> I figured right. that out. Yeah. But if I just <laughs> remain open and remain connected, it will absolutely go away. And that's been proven like clockwork for me in my that. 12-year journey. I like love it. 100.
0: I love it because the numbers fall off really sharp. You know, there's mm-hmm. the, the numbers fall off sharp before one year, but then they fall off really sharp between that and five years, and then another sharp before ten. And so, for you to hit that double digit twelve year mark uh, and still be active, because you are still active, yeah, I'll be active. It's it's grace, right? It's beautiful. It's, it's
1: grace. Yeah, and I, you know, there's nothing more important than, than my. I have a desire to be sober now because yeah. everything in my life is built on it. And yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah like literally like our our friendships our life everything is around that now. the best
1: parts of my life yeah and i know i mean they could go away i know that yeah and so nurturing that desires is, is essential
0: i love it so uh don't go anywhere we have chris lively in studio today when we come back i think we're going to hear a little bit of his early journey what got him into recovery don't go anywhere we'll be right back with relevant recovery radio Welcome back to Relevant Recovery Radio. Uh, I did a long intro there. Since Heather's not here to speed it up, I know that's going to make her crazy when she listens to this later. I just love her. Welcome back to Relevant Recovery Radio. We're brought to you by Matthew's Hope Detox. Uh, If you or a loved one need help, please call them. Uh, Even if they can't help you, they will redirect you to somebody who can. So if you have a substance abuse disorder alcohol drugs whatever it is give them a call at 844 and hope that's 8442634673 so we're in studio today with Chris Lively Chris welcome Thank I love you. it uh and so we kind of briefly talked about you know sobriety birthdays but what what got you into recovery in the first place what um were you just bored? <laughs>
1: a bored slash a whole series of uh, questionable decisions. <laughs> right. You know, society increasingly holding up mirrors at me saying, hey, man, you might be uh, you might be stepping out of line a little bit, you know? Yeah. Which was, you know, it's, it's funny, like, being sober, you know, for this period of time and looking back at, at the person, at what I thought, at what I thought I was and who I thought I was and what I thought people could see mm. versus what they couldn't see. I thought I would – I thought I was real good at managing it and hiding it, which I think I was, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but it got, it got to a point, and I hear this a lot in the rooms, you know, it just got to the point where you can't hide it anymore, you know, and the various consequences come from that. And You know, the, the most pivotal being the internal, that sort of void that, that I was sitting there confronting. And I knew that was the last house on the block.
0: Yeah. It's me. almost like, because uh, you said what, what we think people see, what they can see. And I yeah. think a lot of times what they see is our buffoonery, our consequences, all the outward stuff. But I know that when I got sober, people were sh- some people were shocked mm. because I had hidden some of that from them, but they didn't see what was going on inside. Right, right. It was ugly. How, how old were you when you got sober?
1: I guess I'm 40 now. So uh, my first meeting was in 2010, so I must have been about you know 30 30- no, sorry, 27, 28. Okay, I'm a okay. three chip wonder. By the way, I did three months, and then uh, wasn't sure. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't, couldn't have it under control because I'd grown so much in recovery. Yeah, Maybe I can drink like a res- drink and use drugs like a responsible, <laughs> right? I they came back in three days. That did, wow. <laughs> that did not work out. And the six month relapse, that was you know that was uh, at six months. I went out for for about two weeks, and the funny thing about that one was I uh, not funny, but uh, you know. The teachable moment was I knew what was going to happen when I went out. Mm-hmm. I, what I had lost was that desire to, to, to nurture my sobriety. Um, I, knew I, I knew I was powerless. I knew the outcome. I just I didn't care anymore. It was like this sort of, we'll pull the rug out from under mm-hmm. our feet at the worst moment. So that first relapse taught me, okay, I'm definitely an alcoholic, definitely powerless. I can't live like that anymore. Mm-hmm. Second one taught me if I don't want to live like that anymore, I need to continue to, to nurture my spiritual container and my recovery to nurture that desire to, to stay sober. Wow. Which is why I continue to go today.
0: Twelve years ago, yeah, yeah. So, was there like was there specific consequences that got you into the rooms, or was it just sort of that internal? Yeah, you know,
1: it's like all that stuff is. We all have something in common, but it's like there's so many nuances to our different stories, and mm-hmm. and I see people, and I'm like, damn, you know, maybe I'm like a high bottom, I, high bottom drunk, you know. I, I, inside it was it was low bottom. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um. You know, in my head, I thought I was a weekend warrior. That's what it was. It was like, you know, I'm just going to party on uh, Friday through Sunday. That's what I did ever since college. And for a while, I could stop, but then it progressed.
0: Mm-hmm. The weekends turned into from Thursday till Sunday. Then or, they turned into From Thursday like... to Wednesday, <laughs> yeah. you know?
1: And here I am, like, going to school, like, making decent grades in college because, you know, I put all my energy into no one can know about this. Yeah. Right? But then I was just broken. And then, uh, then I started getting, you know, then cocaine was also- uh I had a co addiction. cocaine It smells and so good. Yeah, it does
0: it just? I don't really like it, but it smells good. Yeah, man, it was, it's <laughs> the devil, dude. <laughs> well, because then if you, I don't know if you drank like I did, but I, when I drank, I would time travel. I'd black out all the time. We call it, for those of you normal people out there, we call it time traveling because yeah. I start drinking at 5 p.m. after work. I've drank so much by nine that. My brain leaves my body, but my body continues to party on through the night. <laughs> That's exactly I relate to that experience. But cocaine wanna, is a fix for that.
1: It's a, yeah, it's a hell of a drug, man. <laughs> and so I started going like, you know, I had this quote-unquote normal life where I was going to school. I had these friends that I met from college. We would drink. You know, I don't, I don't know if any of them made it into the rooms later. They were just heavy drinkers at yeah. that time. Yeah. But then I would leave that party. And go to the other side of the tracks out in Katy and get cocaine and then binge on that for three to four days. And I remember seeing the people that I, I would get it from and party with. I was like, eh, they were cool people, you know. It's one dude had real long hair and some tats. And, yeah. you know, and I just remember thinking, I'm just a weekend warrior. I'm just going to dabble because I got going on in my life. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, it, it was those dudes who four years later said, hey, man, you you need help. Yeah. So it was like the the delu- the illusion in my mind of I got this, I got this. I, I couldn't avoid the reality that I didn't have it mm-hmm. anymore.
0: Where you said Katie. Yeah. The cuts?
1: No, this would be like North Fry Road area like Okay.
0: Okay, so the cuts was an old town part of Katie where I used that. to go pick up. So yeah, I, the, I grew up in Katie. So that's
1: Okay, so you know the yeah. old you know you know my old stomping grounds. Oh yeah. Yeah, did you ever go to the 12 and 12 out there?
0: Uh yeah yeah been my, there a couple times my first five years of sobriety oh, okay was, uh, we used to go Tuesday nights at six thirty yeah all right yeah so okay so I know exactly where you're coming from. so so once you make that trip to the other side of the tracks and start that run it's gonna go for a bit
1: yeah it's yeah and it goes for a bit and <laughs> in, in, in the in the the disease elements like I know this is I know I'm doing something that's gonna hurt my spirit and my in my body like I know that I'm doing that mm-hmm. but I'm just gonna do it this time and then I'll you know, on Monday I'll sober up and uh, drink a bunch of Gatorade and work out and then go to therapy (laughs) and do yoga. (laughs) And I'm going to quit for a month and see what happens. It'd be four days later. As soon as that pain, as soon as the pain of being away from it and just being there with myself, as soon as that started to outweigh my memory of how bad that last hangover was, Mm -hmm. it would start. I'd be like, okay, I'm just going to go have uh, three Shiner Box at the the bar, but I'm not going to go do drugs. As soon as I got three Shiner Box. and,
0: And for our audience... You walking into that bar, if I'd have stopped you and put you on a lie detector test and said, Hey, are you gonna have three shotter box? you would have absolutely passed. Yeah. When we walked through that threshold, we met yeah, it with every fiber insanity. of our being. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then I'd do four and then something would happen, you know, yep. for me, like, you know. Well, they say like the I think it's called like cocoa ethylene or something. There's a there's a synthetic drug that your brain makes when you use cocaine and alcohol. And once four or five beers happened, it was like, there's no one was going to stop me. Yep. No one was going to stop me.
0: You know? So there was just enough of that to drag your, because I think we came in in the same fashion. Um, When I got sober, I had, you know, I had a house and two cars and I had an RV and I had a motor, like I had all the things. Wow.
1: That's awesome, dude. I didn't have any of that.
0: (laughs) But I, That's cool, <laughs> but but I mean I hadn't lost a job, I hadn't been you know I hadn't been fired. Um, I was still in a relationship. My kid would talk to me, and so on the outside, walking in front of my house, everything looked great, right. But inside, I was so dead that I would lay in bed at night and literally think, you know, if I die in my sleep tonight, I'm okay with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like that internal that condition was just done. Right. I love it. So um, so you get. I, I hate to use the term rock bottom because it it seems to present like a definite level, but everybody's That's a good term though. Everybody's your internal rock bottom is yours. Right, like it's whatever it takes for you to finally say I've had enough.
1: Right, and and I hit that, and what I did I contacted this this uh, therapist that I had had years before, and just you know said told him everything that was going on, most of everything that was going on, and it was enough for him to be like. You recommended that I go to AA. <laughs>
0: I love that you just said most of everything. Most of everything. We don't really
1: tell the full truth. No, you know, only to my recovery people. You know, yeah, only yeah. they know and only they get it. That's yeah. that's kind of the beauty of it. We're like the blind leading the blind, but it's it's magical. I don't I don't know any other group of people that fully embraces and understands me in that way.
0: Yeah, yeah. It was the first time I ever walked in a room and felt like I belonged
1: somewhere. Me too. Yeah. Like i went there because i was about to i felt like i was about to die or, or harm myself but it, it it gave me something that i had been seeking my whole life even before i found drugs and alcohol which was just to be with myself and be okay and feel peace
0: oh i love it i get it all right so don't go anywhere we have chris lively in studio today um when we get back, we're going to talk about early sobriety, and I, I don't—I want to get around to your music today as well. Sure. So don't go anywhere; come right back to Relevant Recovery Radio. Welcome back to Relevant Recovery Radio in studio today. We have Chris Lively. Uh, I got a report uh, from the universe. Heather has successfully organized the entire Milky Way. She's now coming back to rigidly organize all of the calendars in North America. So good luck to Heather. We hope to see her back next week. Uh, I also want to announce, this coming back from this break, that we have Soberfest coming up in uh, May. It's May 21st. It's a Sunday from 12 to 6. It is family-friendly. Uh, there's going to be music, food trucks, a marketplace and more. Uh, we have some wonderful musicians who I'm really excited to see. And namely one in studio today, Chris Lively. Uh, and so Chris, let's get back into your story. So you were basically talking about what kind of got you into the rooms of recovery. And, uh, so let's talk about kind of early recovery. What did it look like for you?
1: Yeah, man. Well, you know, like a lot of people in the rooms, my experience—I couldn't have conceived of what I w- was going to experience until I until I tried it out. It was not what I had imagined—a mm-hmm. room full of "quote unquote" alcoholics to be like. I, you know, I never thought I, w- I was one. Number one, um,
0: and you were walking in in, in your twenties, right? Yeah, so you're well, walking in young,
1: right? And uh, I mean, I'm going to be honest, man. My, my my first meeting was at what was at the Heights. No, it was at uh yeah, I was at the Heights Group. And then uh, next meeting was at Post Oak when it was over near here, near 610. Yep, yep. And then someone, I met a guy named, uh, I can't remember his name, but he he picked me up there and took me to Primary Purpose in Montrose. Yep. That was my third meeting. And uh, I, I was amazed with the people I had met. Like, I, I didn't imagine being a room full of people who were so present, like, loving on me. Um. It was instantaneous for me. I, 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 for the first time, I felt like I was home.
0: Oh, like I, I had arrived that. somewhere. Yeah. Um, it's funny. We lived our prior to that. We lived our whole life being uncomfortable in every situation, feeling like we didn't belong. in 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 the room, I'm either judging everyone as better than me or less than me. Yep. Nobody equal. And suddenly, we walk in a room where we finally feel equal. And it's
1: just it, it's something about the collective power of of all these like minded people being there, it just like dissolved. You know, the walls of my ego, it,
0: mm. it,
1: it taught me, you know, told me, like, I was okay. Mm-hmm. And the healing started immediately. And now I had to reconcile that with the language on the wall and the steps and the God stuff. And I was just kind of like, what, are, what is this cult? Like, what <laughs> What the hell are y'all doing in here? Yeah. But the other part of me was like, I don't care because I feel great. Yeah. You know, and then I would string together a couple of days and a week. And I was like, damn, you know, I, I got cravings. Mm-hmm. But I have something to do that that takes them right away when I'm here.
0: Yeah. So... I think that's the other amazing thing, and I think that um, early on—well, I won't say early on—but at some point, I realized that this power, this this whatever's in the universe, God or whatever, mm-hmm. is real. Because I had tried to quit for about ten years, and then I come in the room, and suddenly, like I'm enveloped by this people who want to help me for no reason. I don't have to give them anything, and and then that desire is like squashed for a bit to give me time to do the work. Yes. You know, and it's like, okay, there's got to be something out there doing this for me.
1: What? Well, yeah, and that was very evident to me. Like, I, I could just feel like, I could feel tingling down my spine when I was sitting in the meetings. Like, my brain chemistry was normalizing. Oh, wow. Like, the, like this, I don't know if it was kundalini energy. It was definitely divine. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that took to me, I took to that immediately.
0: <clears throat> did you did you work? Uh, did you get a sponsor right away? Did you work the steps quickly? Like, what did that look like for you?
1: I, I got a sponsor probably within the first couple of weeks, and we went all the way up to about I think I think I was in my fourth step. I don't know if that I, you do hear a lot about the relationship between that step and, and people hanging on to it, and then maybe going out. But I did go out right about that time for that that, that three month mark. Mm-hmm. Um, then came right back in. Um and there was some time that went by. I, I ended up getting another sponsor and went through them uh, pretty, I think we went all the way through them. Um, yeah, that was vital. That was vital. Mm-hmm. It, that showed me, that really opened me up, you know. It made me receptive to the, to my connection with higher power. Um, yeah, transform me. And I've done it multiple times since then. And I've worked with other, spon- my sponsees. Yeah. Which is, that's the top step. That's like, that's the whole point. Yeah, you know, it's like step one, you you unplug from the the things that are blocking you. You know, two and three, you connect with something bigger than you. Four through nine, for me, is you clear out the clear out the clutter. Yeah, and you keep doing that.
0: Clear the wreckage. Clear yeah. the buffoonery that I've the created. Buffoonery,
1: yeah, that's a good word. Yeah, I was a buffoon, dude.
0: <clears throat> yeah. Oh, same. Same. <laughs> I still can be same. But uh, I'm glad I
1: had a I met a met a group of people that you know. I like that in me and I was t- in me.
0: I was telling a guy recently that, um, you know, it's funny how every one of us, our path is different. We're all next to each other, right? We're on this For journey sure. together, but our path is different. But there's certain things that seem to be the same. Mm-hmm. That first year was magical. And I heard this guy say this one time in a talk, and I'm like, I don't know if I believe that. <laughs> he said, I couldn't wait he said I got a year and then I couldn't wait till I got 10 and all I wanted was 10. And he goes I finally got to 10 and I, all I really wanted was that first year again. Wow. And I'm like I get that. Like that first year is so huge. This new fellowship, these people that love you, you have the, this this thing that you're doing that starts to build some esteem, you know, all of that. Right. All of that. And then uh And then the work starts after that. Right. So what is? Let me ask you this: What are your? I don't know. What are the biggest things that have happened in your life? the the Let's talk about, let's talk about the buffoonery we've done in sobriety, because I I also want people to understand that when I get sober, I don't get good. No. Right. Um, God takes the drink away, but then I also need to ask Him to help me with everything else. That's right. And I've done some damage. Yes. (laughs) I've done some damage. You and I both.
1: Yeah, man. It's like, you know, looking back now, I thought my problem was just with chemicals, Mm -hmm. you know, the the alcohol, the drugs. And you remove those and then it becomes clear that I'm completely out of alignment and I'm just, I'm worshiping any animal level desire that I have as a potential medication for my inability to sit still with myself. So remove the drugs and alcohol. Then you got like sexual impulses, Mm -hmm. right? You got to learn to deal with those. Then you got like resentments, right? Those are intoxicating too. Mm -hmm. Those are intoxicating illusions too. Like somehow I'm in control of other people. Um,
0: Justified anger is quite addicting.
1: Damn, dude, isn't it though? It is. But I, you know, one of the themes of this year for me, this year in sobriety was like, I don't, I don't, I see how futile it is to hold on to them. Just Mm -hmm. like I know how useless it is for me to go drink. Yeah. So it's like once you see it, and once you start the practice of letting it go, it becomes more intuitive, and you and you, and you get better at it, you know. Because I know, I know if I if if you do something to me, and, and I I'm chewing on the anger about that, I'm not doing anything to you.
0: Right. 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 I'm just
1: like eating my own my own heart up. I'm giving all that power to this resentment. It's like that's why the steps are so beautiful, man. You like you can ascend like spiritually, and yeah, we struggle with that. You know, and that struggle pushes me into the rooms. It pushes me to go harder into uncovering that next layer. But you get to like get to go even beyond merely not killing yourself with drugs and alcohol. You get to, you know, live a meaningful life. It gave me my purpose in life. These steps did.
0: I remember. uh, Have you ever heard of Adam T. Speaker? That
1: sounds vaguely familiar to me.
0: He made a comment in there. He said, uh, he was talking about resentments. He said, I hold on to these resentments. He said, what I'm essentially doing is I'm drinking the poison, hoping you die. That's right. And it took me many years in sobriety to understand yeah. what he was saying. But you're right. Once you let that go, once I stopped drinking the poison, I go, this is really not worth it. I forgive you. Right. Like the thing that I think is missing in the world today the most, forgiveness. Like I forgive you. It frees yeah. me. It frees me. It's
1: yeah. so freeing, man. And it doesn't mean like I don't struggle with it. Today, I'll get a resentment. Oh, yeah, for but I sure. Ju- I for just sure. know what it's doing to me and what I need to do to work to let it go. Yeah. The,
0: the other thing that I love is that as we kind of do this longer and longer, <clears throat> another thing that I heard early on, this uh, friend of mine named Tawny, she said, um, I am grateful to be an alcoholic. And I'm like, you know, in my mind, I'm like, mm-hmm. you are a liar. Right. But today I get it. You have all these people in the world that we call normal, right? right? They can drink like normal people walking around. They don't get a program like we get.
1: No, it's a gift.
0: It really, really is. It's and I mean, in the entry, all we had to do is just burn our life to the ground. That's it. It was just <laughs> it's fairly, yeah. it fairly cheap. It's fairly cheap. Just yeah. burn your life to the ground. Have no other option, no other way out. And then you'll select it.
1: Right. That's what I tell my sponsees. I'm like, hey, unfortunately, you're an alcoholic. So you can't uh, self-medicate with with alcohol anymore, you know. But fortunately, you're an alcoholic. And now you get to figure out who you really are.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. Right? I love that. So were you always musically inclined, or is that something that came I've up? I've always
1: loved music. It's always been medicine for me. Okay. Um, the songwriting, that the creative journey really was a, a byproduct of getting sober. Okay. Um, but yeah, always music. Music in my life from day one.
0: Awesome. So don't go anywhere, because when we come back, I would love to talk about... Probably your top five best things that have happened to you in sobriety, like the things that you are most grateful for. And really, I want to hear about your music as much as we can in our last segment. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with Relevant Recovery Radio. Welcome back to Relevant Recovery Radio. I'm your host and hostess today, Donnie Mosier. Our uh, other host, Heather Mosier, is on assignment. Uh, We sent her to um, somewhere far, far away. Um, And it's 50-50. If she makes it back, we'll see next week. Please tune in to find out. Uh, I want to make sure that we give the phone number to Matthews Hope one more time, and that is 844-AND-HOPE. Eight four four two six three four six seven three, or just go to the webpage page at www.mhdrp.org. That's Matthews Hope Detox and Recovery Program.org. Uh, and let them know that Donnie and Heather sent you from the radio. <clears throat> All right, so in studio we have Chris. Oh, and before I forget, I will forget this if I don't do it. Uh, May 21st, come on out to the White Oak Music Hall. It's at 2915 North Main. Most people in Houston know where that's at. From 12 to 6, we have the Soberfest, Recover Out Loud. Um, It is a family-friendly event. We're going to have music, food trucks, marketplace, and more. And playing that day, which I'm really, really excited about, I've seen him live before, he's pretty amazing, is Chris Lively. Chris, welcome back. Thank you,
1: man. So excited for that event
0: too! Oh, it's going to be cool. Special, it is really a lot of good talent on that lineup. There really is. There really is. Now I say that there really is. Like I don't know anybody else on it. I met one other guy that we had in studio, but you, I know you on it, so I know we're good.
1: All right, cool, man. thank you for your confidence.
0: Yeah, we're good. So, okay, so you are in recovery. You are. You are. You're a sober man. You're got a sponsor. You're doing the thing. What are your biggest gifts? that you think from recovery? Is that something
1: I, I'd say first and foremost, you know, one of the themes of this year for me, I've been thinking a lot about the message on that chip, all the chips y'all gave me to celebrate my milestones. And I used to overlook it, but it said, uh, to thine own self, be true. To thine own self be true. And, uh, that's the message that I've been super grateful for lately. It's this, I have a way to walk in integrity now and, uh, to become the best version of myself. And, uh, I don't have to betray myself anymore mm. and waking up with that. I mean, that's, that's about as good as it gets.
0: Yeah. That gift, man. To just be who you are. Just be who I am. And not be ashamed of it. Cause we're not doing those things anymore. We're not doing those things anymore. Yeah. I love and it. And there's
1: nothing, it's like everything I'm seeking, everything I used to be seeking outside of myself, it's already here. Mm. It's already here.
0: Contentment. Yeah.
1: And y'all show me that.
0: Oh, I love it. I so love that's,
1: it. you know, that's my that's my super grateful, you know, super, the gift that I'm super grateful for right now, man, is that um, to have a community that supports each other in that in that walk.
0: My, mine mine was similar, and that's basically content, like you're talking about that inner contentment that I always sought and could never find. Right. Um, and purpose.
1: Purpose, absolutely. Purpose.
0: And, and so you are dual-purposed at this point, right? You are sober, helping other people get sober, but you're also a musician, and your music has taken off in your sobriety. Tell me about it. Like, what does that look like?
1: Yeah, man, just, you know, in a nutshell, so I used to play music all the time before I got sober. Um, I loved playing guitar, but it was more about the partying and the debauchery um, and the entertainment mm-hmm. aspect of it, you know? Sex, drugs, rock and roll. You yeah. Know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there may have been one of those things that was more prevalent than the others, probably the, the drugs. But anyway, uh, <laughs> you know, when I got sober, uh, not only did I clean up my act literally and um, performance, my performances became better. But getting sober gave me my voice because before mm-hmm. I got sober, I did not I didn't feel worthy. I didn't think anything in my life was worthy of being narrated into a song, let alone recorded. Um, But through sobriety and through the fellowship, the transformation was such that I started to see the relevance of all the things that I had gone through. Even the addiction, because it brought me to to you guys. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's when I started songwriting.
0: Mm. You know one of the things that we I feel like tried to avoid all those years with the drugs and alcohol was feelings. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, we don't like those
0: and but one of the things that I, I think I'm grateful for now is the ability to just walk through whatever it is the sadness, loneliness, whatever it is feeling yeah. and'm and does that help your songwriting is that do you think that's what helped you with it?
1: Absolutely just to be able to be human just to be able to sit there with whatever was going on and and honor it as opposed to push it down or uh run from it or medicate it mm. right yes
0: what's your favorite thing about doing what you do playing music
1: connecting with with people mm. um bringing bringing sound because sound you know sounds frequencies They can be they're, they're they're so healing and uh seeing people connect with uh maybe the words or the message of a song or where the where those intersect with the particular chord, to see them feel what I felt when I wrote it. Maybe I've played this song and sang it 400 times, and maybe I'm tired of that song. But someone hasn't heard it, right? And so to see them hear it for the first time and to be moved by it—that—that—that that, that kind of—that's oh, a really powerful moment. That's got to I mean. be
0: a pretty amazing gift. Yeah, it's got to it. be.
1: I love those little moments.
0: And so you play. Uh around town in Houston, do you have normal gigs? Do you kind of schedule them as you go? Like, what are your normal ones? For the people that are in Houston that are listening to you, what's your normal gigs that you hit?
1: Well, it kind of varies, but, you know, the places that I tend to frequent most are like the Rustic uh, Truckyard, downtown, you know, mm-hmm. east downtown area. Um, there's an Italian restaurant out in out in Katy called La Monti's that I play regularly. Um, I do a lot of hotel gigs, a lot of private parties. Um, but I, I update my gig schedule it's, you can find it on my website's uh, www.chrislivelymusic.com i'm also on all the social media platforms so you can just follow me there and I'll, I'll update that about you know every two weeks i'll put a, the new schedule the new schedule out there um and then i'm working on my fourth album right now so once that it gets closer to coming out of the oven i'll i'll there'll be more um, you know i'll have a schedule for for shows to, to promote that album for Sure, I'll probably release that like at the mucky duck. Okay, um,
0: now are you um, do you work a job as well as your music? Yeah, or my you... day job. Yeah, that's okay. another
1: gift from recovery. Is <clears throat> uh, I work at an ESL school, ESL English as a second language for adults or adult immigrants who are learning English for various purposes. So,
0: oh, cool, that's my day job. That sounds pretty rewarding it's pretty as well. Cool,
1: man, it's cool having like people from all over the world in a room and, and just laughing. And we do a lot of music in there too. Music is. One of the best ways to learn.
0: It's something for your soul. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. So, uh, also for our listeners out there who may not get it, once you come into the program and you get recovered, you you recover from that seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, and that obsession for alcohol leaves you. Mm-hmm. Does it affect you that you're playing in bars and people are drinking around you? And
1: at first, you know, early in recovery, yes, but now you know how do i say this my proximity to the substances that took me down is not does not correlate to my sobriety mm-hmm. you know i live above a, a whiskey bar <laughs> <laughs> i could walk down there at any moment and take a shot right so but the more that i'm in in recovery and i'm armed with that spiritual armor so to mm-hmm. speak i don't i don't i don't even think about it I also yeah. don't eat bread. It's the same thing to me at this point. Right, it's like, right. you know, I don't eat bread. I don't jump off buildings and I don't drink. Like what <laughs> things do you not do?
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, I hang out with some, it's it's through church, but I hang out with some just kind of normal people that'll have a drink and a cigar. Yeah. And at first they were real worried about drinking around me. And I'm like, like you folks should understand Right. Like there's a power greater than me, and that power has removed this from me. That's right. Like it's it's not a problem today. Now, if I stop doing what I'm doing, it becomes a problem again. That's right. So right. when is your when's your next gig? Where are you at? My next
1: gig. Well, I I, I I haven't even looked at my schedule today. So all I know is the most important one coming up is on May 21st yeah. Yeah. at White Oak Music Hall. Y'all be sure to come out to that. I'm gonna be playing live with my percussions my percussionist Edward and my violin player. Joanna. Oh, so you have people with you. Oh, yeah, fantastic! A little trio. It's okay. going to be powerful, and there's going to be a lot of other talented, inspiring acts that are going to be on that stage. So, if you guys can make that, SoberfestHTex.com, you can get tickets.
0: Absolutely. Well, Chris, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Like My pleasure, this man. has been wonderful. I've it's known you for a long time, and I love this. So. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go try and find Heather. Uh, I hope she comes back. I really need somebody to do my finances. Um, But anyways, don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, those who stand for nothing will fall for anything. Hashtag God, though.